back, Builders Build 8, and this one we're covering what might sound like a dull topic, but it's actually probably one of the most useful pods we'll ever do, which is sales and operations planning. This basically covers organizational concepts and tools that allow your business to run, and this doesn't matter if you're making a physical good or a software good, really it's about sales, how do you plan what, how much you can sell, operations, how do you plan how much you can make of what you can sell, and then finance, how do you have the money to cover that. Any other intro notes from from you guys? You want to leave with a hard James explains, like just kick it off with that, or you know, the, 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 I think the best part about this is like I'm pretty fucking excuse my language, pretty terrible at a lot of this stuff, and so I think that you guys coming from because working in much bigger orgs, which I think you guys have done a lot more, um, gives you a lot more experience in the space. So I'm ready to be a sponge. I'm ready to, yeah, I'm ready to, need, soak, to get some context on this because I've been in a bunch of businesses that are like different sizes. Like obviously, Colin and I worked in this business that has hundreds of SKUs across multiple states where we manufacture them ourselves, we distribute them ourselves. It's probably the most complex SNOP process I've ever been a part of, but uh, I think we all loved it. And Colin went complete ninja mode and like made these crazy uh, documents and systems that we followed to do it. But also, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm a, a, like a partner in a small clothing line and we do our own version of this that, that kind of changed how we look at how we sell when we actually instituted a plugin and like started planning our inventory and sales as opposed to being like, we're just gonna order this amount. Um, and then a number of other businesses have kind of been in the middle throughout the years who've either done really sophisticated or really terrible jobs at this. And so it's something that any business I think I feel can, can benefit from. And you know, let's let's go. And just before we dive in, for anybody that's not watching the video, to keep you know SNOP uh, a little bit less dry, we've got James here in a tutu, and then Oren's son is <laughs> juggling in the background of his video as well. So Kingston. yeah. <laughs> It <laughs> <laughs> was rocking those uh, those Elton John sunglasses earlier today, though. So maybe, so maybe yeah, we, yeah, we, we let him dress himself this morning. It was a uh, what, what do the kids say? A movie. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we're let's, making uh, sales and ops planning interesting. Let's, 100%. All right, well, let's kick into it because I, I do feel this is ultra valuable. We're, let's talk about first. So, uh, how the SNP process typically works is sales presents a forecast. This is sales-driven sales and operations planning, which is, I think, how I recommend 90% of people do their ops. Because if you don't do it like that, if you go capacity-based planning and you say, I have X amount to sell, how are we going to sell it? Then you tend to be making up crazy strategies and ideas and not actually focusing on your business. So we'll focus a lot on, hey, you start with sales. Sales puts out a forecast of what they think they're going to sell. So we're going to talk a bit about how do we get there, what are some strategies of forecasting, You know, how, how does that all work? Um, yeah. Any, any kind of notes or, or thoughts before I dive into this more? Let me articulate a visual on, on like what we're talking through here. Like Oren said, starting with sales, what comes after sales is inventory in stock, ready to sell. After that, you have your capacity to create or, or get more inventory, which may be internal if you're manufacturing it or POs from someone else. And then finally, you have what you need to make said capacity. Right. So it's really like I think of it as those those four parts. If you exclude, you know, do we have the cash to support such a thing? Yeah. And if you're thinking about say, that kind of stuff for software, right, James? No, I was going to say, I think that the, my, my biggest experience with this is more from like the capital raising side. Right. And looking at I've looked at thousands and thousands of decks, people raising money and sort of like understanding there's two parts of this. So it's like, A, you really want your func- your company to function like in a healthy way and sort of understand how to do that. But for a lot of people that are raising money, a lot of this can be predicated on like, what are you forecasting? And then are you hitting those KPIs, right? Like, cause if you're raising money again and again and again, you tell me you need $1.5 million, I give it to you and you don't, you don't forecast your sales correctly, right? Or, or any of these revenue numbers, 
then you're gonna have a hard time raising that money again, right? Because people are pretty disappointed. And I would say that the you know that was much more relevant before Stripe partnered with the mafia for their loan shark program, <laughs> um, <laughs> where any e-commerce business based based on your sales volume can go and borrow money at at four hundred percent. Sign up now. No problem. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it is important to know that there's a difference between, I think a lot of what we're talking about here is going to be forecasting for if you have an existing business, like if you've sold some things and you want to expand it, forecasting pre-revenue is definitely a complete dark art where you're like, all right, I assume I'm going to do X based on some industry data or some whatever. And, and decks like that are completely harder. I think we're going to be taking a really practical look at how some of this works. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd say like, this isn't just about physical goods and the capacity to make them and stuff, too. I, I want to think about f- software because you would say, hey, if we're going to be selling more than we expected, do we have enough customer service or customer success reps to maintain onboarding? You know, what's that going to mean for our AWS fees? Is our infrastructure built to be able to handle a thousand users versus a hundred users versus a hundred thousand users? So even though a lot of this applies to physical goods, um, there's still a lot of ways to think about it that impact software. You still want to go through some of these same sales and ops processes, even if you're selling courses or software or any of those other things too. So just a, just a quick note there. Um, so we'll kick off with types of forecasting. So the first is, uh, I want to talk about is there's bottoms up and top down forecasting. These are common terms that you'll kind of hear in business. And so, uh, a, a top down forecast is basically you look at your, your, the market and your industry and you say, what is the industry growth expected to be? in uh, like, you know, in, in this kind of time period. And you say, all right, uh, we assume that everything's going to, because of seasonality and how things typically work in the last few months, this the, the industry is going to grow three or 5%. There's big data that goes, that goes out there. You say, okay, well, we should then grow at an equal amount. That's a really rough way to look at, at top-down forecasting. This is useful in really big established businesses, but isn't extremely useful in, in nascent industries or in small businesses. And so that's why I'd like to recommend bottoms-up forecasting. This is a really tactical approach where you go, how many accounts do I have? Whether accounts like a person that buys from you or a retail store that buys your product or a distributor or any of those things. Like, so this is a lot more based like account-based sales, like you know, software seats or for you know, re- retail sales to stores. And you go, all right, let's actually make a tally of how many of these people have it, how often do they purchase, how often they kind of repeat that, how much do we expect them to expand, are they taking on any new products? And you actually build from your account list a completely up forecast based on kind of realistic numbers. And those are kind of two you know, typical approaches to take and is kind of a, a useful concept to, to know and think about. And I would just tack on to that when we're, when we're talking e-commerce businesses, DTC businesses that are ad driven, right? Where a significant portion of revenue is from ad spend, uh, you're 5,000% looking bottoms up, right? Because uh, you know that something doubling your ad budget on a monthly basis or cutting in half, so on and so forth is going to directly affect your top line. Um, and, and all the way through the, the supply chain. Yeah, and I, I can tell you that sort of from a lot of the stuff I've looked at, referencing what we were saying earlier on, is that like, and I'm sure you guys saw this in the cannabis industry, right? So you obviously have opportunities where you can sort of look at this bottoms up forecasting, and it's probably the right way to do it. But half the decks I've seen in my life are, you know, sort of, so to speak, this top down forecasting, right? It's like this industry is growing, you know, X amount over the next three years, we're going to get this amount of it. And sort of that is... Uh, it's like sort of like reading tea leaves. You know what I mean? It's sort of just an obscene sort of version of it's like, you know, a tarot card reading. Uh, you know, there's only so much reality to it. Right. So it, it makes a lot of sense to obviously be looking from a bottoms up perspective. And so I think is, and I'm up DTC, which I think is a good thing to, to touch on, too, is that DTC, there's two kind of typical ways to look at forecasting that are worth knowing. One is straight line, like a percent growth. And you say, hey, we're going to grow 4% every month, month over month, and we're going to sell X more. And you kind of plan to do that accordingly. And the other one is a moving average where you take your trailing three to five months and then you add a uh, you kind of 
use use what happened there to kind of predict what's going to happen in the next month. And those are both very reasonable metrics. And so you can just kind of decide which way that you want to approach it and then see if you're actually hitting your forecasts or not. That's a big part of the SNOP process that we'll kind of dive in, in, into at the end is just reconciling what happened the month prior. Hey, we said we were going to do a 5% growth. We got 3%. And then when you do this month, you say, hey, we said we're going to do 5% again. Should we actually make that 3% and kind of dealing with some of those, which is like never the fun part of business, but it's always the really realistic things you look at to, to actually kind of make some 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 progress. Um, and I think that one thing that we've, um, we were talking about a bit before the pod, I think is really relevant is this idea of constraint by choice. So for instance, James sells a course where he maxes out the number of seats and says, I'm only going to sell this many. Like there's a hot LA cookie that only sells a certain amount of cookies when they do cookie drops. You know, if you, so you can choose to say, hey, we're not as much doing this based on an increase. We are just knowing we're going to build our entire business around. We sell a set amount of things we know we can always sell. That's a look for our brand. I figured that's an interesting thing to kind of dive more into and look at the ups and downs of that. Yeah. I mean, I think one, you know, forget my course or forget even the last crumb, which is the cookie when you're talking about. I think that the, the pod. there's, there's a, like, dude, please sponsor the pod. They have are you enjoying a Don- delicious cookie while listening to this podcast? <laughs> if so, the last crumb. <laughs> yeah. dude, they have one called the Donkey Kong. It's this banana cookie. It's so dope, but it's like a $200 box of cookies. Anyway, Anyway, the Nelk boys, you know, have done like a really the, the sort of kings of drops like this, right? And so this this sort of this idea of like controlling supply, ironically, what I think people's perception is when you hear about this, you start thinking like, okay, I'm going to sell less. When I think in actuality, very often there's two things that come from here. First, you actually sell the same amount or more because you sort of have this limited release. You build this hype. You manage to get all the demand to come in a singular moment in time. Or, and, um, and alternatively, you know, the other side of it is that, you can forecast really well. You know, I think we, one of my many, many failed businesses when I was younger was I had a, a clothing line with an, an old friend who's now an incredibly successful clothing designer. But I remember, you know, we would have like six different t-shirts that came in three different colors with four different sizes, right? And so like alone right there is six times three times four, we're at 72 SKUs. I mean, it's just obscene, right? And so like, for how a, do you sort for of forecast a little that? rinky-dink t-shirt brand? Yeah, for like yeah. a t-shirt company. A like nightmare. That we were like, you know, first we're screen printing on Dwayne Street in Tribeca, and then we've got other people do it. But like, then it gets more complicated when you started going into retail because certain retailers are taking some on consignment. Some are, you know, and even big retail, like we'll say, will make you buy back inventory from certain, you know what I mean, the contracts at certain times. So it is like such an, it's such an, an interesting concept, the idea to like sort of have a little bit more control of all of this by sort of making sure that there's a limited release or that you're building up demand and making sure to get it in one it's a brand choice too good to that end i just like wanted to throw in there that like really as a precursor to all this less skews less skews (laughs) less skews have less skews don't do more skews have less skews right and so when james mentions something with sizing right if 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 your goal in life is to do a t-shirt brand then fair enough you're going to deal with sizes but i know one place where this has been been relevant um uh, for us very, very recently is like on on promotional merchandise, right? For brands. I always try and steer clear of things with sizes. Nothing like, with a size. Always, every single time, right? Because all of a sudden your order for, you know, uh, to get promo merch to 300 people, all of a sudden becomes this calculus about like, what is what is the standard uh, deviation of sizing across this kind of- de- Yeah, yeah, yeah. free uh, game, hats over shirts bop, 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 all bop, day. Yeah. So hats. <laughs> Uh, hats, uh, bags, all kinds of things. Anything, water bottles, anything but a shirt. Notebooks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by the way, when we were buying in 2021, when I was, you know, looking at brands to buy, and we ended up getting one brand that ended up doing really is three SKUs, right? But it's just three different products. Um, 
as it was a little a little complex. I kept calling it a single skew brand, but it was, was not. But um, the one thing I, I I looked at a lot, there was a lot of for sale that I never wanted to touch was clothing, right? Because it's like forget even the simple T-shirt company. I mean, forget the simple T-shirt company. You know, and actually to this point, Colin and I have been talk- and Orin have been talking about jeans recently, right? And so I've been buying these Ragnarok jeans. Ragnarok only comes in a thirty-two length now. They do not make a different length of jean anymore. Yeah, well, you can just hem that shit with whoever you want anyway. If you don't have Unless you're a tall then, king like, like me, dog. I'm, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's the ma- 32 is like perfect for me. But if I were, I got friends who are 6'3". Yeah, three, six, bro, four, you got to take five. that hem up like like at least two inches, brother. We're in LA now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Other, yeah, yeah. Get an ankle tat. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. But anyway, but they, <laughs> shut up. But don't you think that like, I mean, I, I'm surely part of that comes from like a forecasting and sales perspective, right? Of like understand like, okay, if we add four lengths of pants to all 40 different kinds of pants we make in six different colors, we have like an extra 1,200 SKUs just for length, yeah, right? It's like, crazy how it adds up like that. I mean, well, it's impossible. Like, how, how how everyone's unhappy that? if you don't have their size. They're like, oh, you don't have a 3X? Like you're not taking into account everyone's body type or sure. hey, your extra small is different than someone else's extra, extra small. So I'm returning it. It's just, it's a, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you, then you probably start out. And so to go back was I didn't want to touch, I didn't want to acquire any companies that were selling clothing at all, at all, at all. It seemed terrifying to me. Um, and then I think what's interesting is you have some of these sort of larger aggregators that like some of their tech, um, I'm, uh, Thrasio, which is buying up all these Amazon FBA brands right now, right? So a lot of Thrasio's value prop in terms of why to invest in them is they have like a really, really good internal proprietary system in which they can sort of do forecasting for understanding inventory management and sort of what's needed. And and obviously like en masse, that's a pretty massive thing because if you've got thousands of SKUs, you have to then start realizing that there's, there's no way you're going to ever sell them out, right? There's, yeah. when, you, when you buy right. product, it's just, and, and the you're going to have leftover especially inventory. With- Especially with clothing, it's going to be like is, is seasonality and trends. And so I, I work totally. the clothing brand I work closest with is a women's clothing brand, and it is basically like all right, we sell skirts all through the spring and summer, we sell jackets all through the summer uh, for, through the fall and winter. And but like the hot, and we continue to sell some of them or in both, but then it kind of moves accordingly. But then you'll just see a drastic like, hey, guess what? Denim is fucking done. And so yeah. all denim that we're sitting on, like we've got to figure out, you know, and, uh, and there's you know, things that work like that. And I think it's something to really uh, care about. And we use this app called Inventory Planner. And I highly recommend any, you know, if you are, this is a super free game alert that if you are running a Shopify store and you are you running an Amazon store and you need a uh, an app, it's just inventory-planner.com, I believe. Uh, so this is a great, it doesn't take into account the kind of things I just talked about, like the seasonality and trending. And that's the kind of stuff you have to layer. It's why it takes a personal touch and like an executive team to run a sales and operations planning process versus just looking at the app data. But like in that app, it's going to basically give you the breakdown. Here's the velocity of what you sold. And, and here's how it changed. And you could say, all right, we sold eight of the, we've actually, we've increased how much we sold, you know, of this one item or this one size perspective. It kind of gives you that dynamic flow across all of your different SKUs. lets you make those decisions. And uh, kudos to making this app because if it didn't exist, I'd be trying really hard to make it. And I think they did a great job on it. Um, but like, that's the kind of stuff you could do is there are tools for small businesses that don't involve like full ERPs that just plug into your stores. If you are a DTC that help you with that planning. I mean, one, one step before this, again, in this, this genre of, of e-com and DTC business, I've been really, really shocked recently um, as I've kind of get, been getting more into the e-com space of how many of these businesses like don't have real inventory tracking in their books. Right. Like you don't need to have a, you know, Sage or some full blown ERP to be tracking your inventory in your accounting software. And, uh, you know, James, when when my wife was looking for a business and and when I kind of started looking around again, I had this like moment of, whoa, 
like a lot of these Shopify businesses and like which of which a lot of them are hundreds of thousands or not millions of dollars a year, like they don't even know what you're talking about when you're when when you'd say is your inventory on your books in your system. So I feel like there's a whole there's a whole step before you know this this inventory planner app, which I agree is excellent. Um, the starting point of that is like knowing that you have 98 pieces of that one item, right? And if sure. you don't have that, then you don't get to do any cool apps or spreadsheets to to help you plan. That actually makes me realize we should do uh, a deep dive into like P&Ls and cash flow statements and balance sheets, right? Because that's one thing that I remember looking through people's like doing due diligence on companies and they were like, oh, we have this much inventory on our balance sheet. I was like, whoa, whoa. How do you val- how are you valuing that inventory, right? What you paid for it or what you think it's worth, right? Or like what you're going to sell at a retail. And so I remember looking at these things. I was like, well, you guys have $3 million in inventory. They're like, oh, well, if we sell it, it'll be worth that. And I was like, no, no, no. That's not, on, yeah. that's not the <laughs> yeah. way it works. No, but, I'm so, but I think that what happens, and myself included, right? Like unless you have the opportunity to sort of work, you, there's, there's three ways to learn, right? You either go to school, you sort of get the experience, um, or you get your hands dirty and learn by messing up. And most of my experience has been getting my hands dirty and messing up. And so I think it's, you know, it's, if you haven't gone to school for it, which I think a lot of our listeners have not, then you end up in a situation where hopefully you worked in a bigger company and you learned from someone that showed you how it works. So otherwise you're totally lost on that. And by the way, you know, understanding a, 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 a balance sheet or a cash flow statement, like that's definitely not something that, you know, you just know, right? So like understanding that I think is, I, I had to give, I used to get upset by it. And I'm like, oh, you, no one has just told you that. And someone to teach me all this stuff, right? It's not as if right. I just, I definitely yeah, well, didn't look, learn This is, this is why school. Builders Build exists, is that we're going to give this alpha to the people. I'm, and I'm literally like, <laughs> as we start plotting these episodes of what this looks like, I go, what's the stuff that I wish that someone had been able to guide me through or know? On and this is zero. one of the biggest yeah. ones. Yeah. Because like, I learned a lot of this when working at 3DR with Colin, because we had this guy, Ivan, who was our, uh, he had been previously at Monster Cable. And he had come in to do it there. And he was just like, you guys don't have a sales and ops planning process? Like, you out of your minds? And then, like, you know, really work through how does that work? And, like, put all those things together. And everyone was a part of it. And then, like, from then on, I've, like, carried that torch into every business I've gone to. And if you don't get those experiences in your life, how are you going to do it? And nowadays, as DTC entrepreneurs or coming in, we may not have much of big business experience. Like, like, uh, like I may have been lucky to have. Then, you know, this is we're going to give you that alpha right here on the pod, brothers. I so think. And, I think yeah, go, something go, go, go. to something to throw into the ring too is even even in bigger companies where you do have experienced people, uh, there's a huge difference between if you have your finance or accounting team is like really seasoned with inventory management. A inventory management from a, an accounting perspective is totally different from like functionally how to how to do that and then have it be useful for you on an ops perspective, right? Like accountants basically care if it ties out at the end of the month, right? And that is sure. not useful to anybody <laughs> except for the accountant at the end of the month, right? And so there's even when you do have have people that are, uh, you know, traditionally trained or, or educated, so on and so forth, there's just this huge disconnect between what is functionally useful in a business every single day and and how they would approach it. Sure. Completely. And I think, you know, no, I said to go with that, you know, Oren mentioned sort of like not just seasonality, but sort of trends. Right. And so obviously with fashion, this is one reason I was, I've always been sort of recently or in many recent years been turned off by like hospitality and by fashion. Right. But in terms of like investments, unless they're vanity investments. Right. Because so much of it is just like a subjective and B just is ever changing. And you're constantly chasing cool. You are literally just on a mission to constantly, constantly chase cool. And in the high end of, of hospitality and a fashion, the only ones that make money are the real high end, right? Are like the, the, cream, the cream of the crop. Like you can the margins the on that are absolutely smacking. Like the only thing that would make me look into clothing <laughs> lines further is like, look, we sell like $400 to $700 jackets and stuff like that. The margins are nuts. And sure. 
and so if you are able to catch the trends and get that right person, have it considerably and like have the person, luckily there's like a female visionary behind it who's really on what those look like, then like you can murder it. But if you're not capable of doing that, then like, then it's then not a lot. You're screwed. You're, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is why LVMH is, is that's this is why no whatever, the owner of LVMH is like the second richest man in the world, right? Well, because if you can be the, right, or the richest man in Europe, if you can actually what, be on top of it, you crush. Yeah, hospitality yeah. is a great example too because once you get one in, you have one cool thing and you're able to get a second or a third. And I, we see this a lot in in, uh, in Austin where like all the people who had gotten one or two of those businesses now have like 10 or 15 or 20 because like sure. once you have that list and those right things and people believe it as a, oh, it's a blank business, even if it's a different vertical, then like there that's the nice part about that luxury space is you can move in between things. Like you can have a coffee shop and a restaurant and a blank and another and like, and, and keep that brand consistent and that experience consistent as long as, long as you deliver. And well, uh, the, 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 to go along with this, the last piece about sort of, from, from my perspective, that I think becomes interesting to think about for, you know, is, and obviously this happens with cannabis, right? Um, it happens with definitely with, with food, right? And it, we saw it happen with skincare when I had a piece of a skincare brand, which is that like, first of all, skincare dries up, right? You have 60,000 lip balms sitting in a warehouse. You don't sell those 60,000 lip balms in a year, just so you're aware. Open a, lip, open a chapstick a year later than it was created. It will be lighter. It will be smaller. It will not be the same, right? Um, I'm, I know whether or not we could we can debate whether cannabis expires. For sure, from a legal perspective, it does, right? Like there has to be some sort of level in which inventory has to be gotten rid of, right? Definitely with food, right? So this becomes a whole other complexity, which is not just like forecasting in terms of like, if we buy all this today, can we sell it next month, you know, or can we sell it over the next 12 months? If you have a product that's consumable or has some sort of expiration to it, that obviously complicates things as well even more because you have to figure out how to move that product in said time frame, um, right? Am, am I wrong about cannabis? Totally. It does expire, right? Yeah, and looking so so many things do. So you have the seasonality that comes from cool. You have the things of actual like perishable goods. Uh, I think we're, we'll hit uh, one more point on sales forecasting. We should go into manufacturing planning. Where I think that's that's a really good uh, transition. So the last thing I wanted to hit on the sales forecasting was uh, there's like these concepts. There's like MBA concepts of forecasting as well, which are probably really useful in large businesses. But like, if you hear these concepts and you're running a smaller business, you should run away. And one is doing your forecasting with simple linear regression or with multiple linear regression. So simple linear regression goes, hey, you make a forecast and you have one variable and you basically say, my ad, my ad spend effectiveness variable is going to impact my forecast and I'm going to make a model based on that, which is seems sounds all right in concept, but uh, is really probably not going to help you because anytime you're making some sort of model versus trying to just base it as much as you can on actuals is going to be an issue. Then you have like multiple linear regression tends to get not only... Uh, this is the kind of thing where people just put a bunch of variables in there to say, hey, we took all this time making a forecast, but it, just to kind of cover everyone's ass that it has every single thing that you could possibly could in there. And they're going to be like industry trends and, you know, like the weight of the dollar to the ruble and, you know, like our, our ROI changing on like these platforms, you know, make all these things and say, hey, we're going to spit out this forecast on the other side. And, you know, if uh, those are the kind of stuff where I would just say all that is too much for any but the biggest businesses. And that's the kind of stuff that McKinsey and Gardner and these folks get paid a hell of a lot of money to do, whether it's effective or not. And sometimes it might be, sometimes it isn't. But if you're uh, hearing about those kind of things or someone's pushing you to do that at a business that is, you know, sub $100 million a year, don't, don't, don't look at it, which would be my number one uh, kind of recommendation. And then from that, I think we'll, we'll transition from the sales forecasting piece of this to the actual manufacturing planning piece of this. Um, I, I just want to, the, the other use of, of linear regression models like that are so that consultants can, can make forecasts without just clicking and dragging all the formulas to the right, right? <laughs> um, um, uh, really, I think, I think you can do a lot of useful stuff in smaller businesses where you're, 
you know, Warren, you mentioned, uh, you know, conversion rate or effectiveness of an ad spend, right? Like that, that's something where that be a useful variable to bring in on top of your, um, on top of your forecast that is based on reality and based on how you know the business. But in general, these regression models are so that you can, you know, have something besides a really predictable line dragged out without understanding the business that you're forecasting for. And so that is useful for consultants. It's useful for, you know, uh, financial an analysts that are that are internal that don't actually that aren't actually in touch with the business, right? Because all these things, I think they every one of these is going to start by dragging it out to the right, right? And and then you get to come back in and take um take things like seasonality that isn't always going to be captured in some you know, annual report about your industry um, and, and, and take all of these things into account to get to a useful forecast, right? And a regression model is, is a quicker path to that level of nuance that the people using them typically don't have. Dude, dude, this is, by the way, this is one, like I said, before we even started this pod, one reason this is fun for me is because like, again, like I, I'm really a hands-on scrappy dude, but I, it's, it's amazing to me sort of some of the experiences that you guys have in terms of like, in sort of like your knowledge base. It's, it's nutty. Cause like, that's all totally new, new to me to be complete straightforward. Yeah, I also just take any opportunity possible to bash on consultants. So <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, look, 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 we consult bashing pod. We, Sponsored we by McKinsey. Well, yeah, well, look, when, when McKinsey comes to buy builders build, uh, and there's going to be a provision where they're like, Hey, we're, we're purchasing it, but this Colin force guy, Colin's got to like, go. Yeah, 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 finally. Go. Fine. Like, look, look, he's gonna get he's gonna get an exit package. It's gonna be respectable. Uh, you know, yeah. but, but we get or, and we'll, or not be stuck there for the next ten years. <laughs> yeah, no, look, yeah, I'll, I'll show up. Look, depending on how heavy <laughs> that check is, I'll be out there in the, in the full in the full Brioni. You know what I mean? Uh, just you just you just rolling up the table. Y'all, you want that in the PowerPoint? <laughs> All, right, let's, let's uh, All right, let's move on. Right. Manufacturing planning. Uh, yeah, Go for manufacturing it. planning. So I'll hit on three kind of or uh, for four key concepts real quick, and then we can kind of dive in. So if you're doing manufacturing planning, there's the idea of scheduling and master scheduling, material planning, which is like all of your parts and the things you have to use to make your stuff, capacity planning, which is how much you can make within your schedule. And the last is uh, something we'll talk a bit about is efficiency and in terms of how do you track how well you make the stuff that you make. Um, I'm going to turn a lot of this over to Colin because he has been in charge of the manufacturing operation that, of the company that we were uh, running together. And you know, yeah, there's a lot to dig into. Uh, man, so broad strokes, like, like I touched on immediately, right? So after sales, you have you have your your inventory need your current inventory level and then the delta between that and the projection right and and so the way that we do it right off the bat you have okay here is my my inventory need that i do not currently have and from there you can back into all of these things right so coming back to why you should have as few SKUs as possible as you can imagine this gets uh, exponentially simpler the less SKUs that you have so in the case of what uh, what we do right i think it's like 25 to 30 product lines, which all have between two and five components to them, right? So when I say now going from inventory and stock to the Delta and beyond, we have to do that at the component level on every single one of these things, right? Whether it is a raw material that goes in your product or a label or, or a packaging component or the other packaging component, not the one packaging component, so on and so forth. So it gets very, very sticky very quickly. And and, and, and something that I wanted to hit on right out of the gate, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about, about, um, about software and whatnot, but most of these processes, I think, until you get really big, are best served in spreadsheets. Um, 
uh, or or some rendition of a spreadsheet, right? Like I'm obviously a big fan of of Coda, which uh, for all intensive purposes is a a spreadsheet that's made much more useful. Um, but all these things are interconnected, right? You go from that that need the de- the the demand that you have, um, you back into what you need to for that, and then you inform your schedule from there, right? So again, that schedule is all contingent on. Uh, the the actual product lines that you need to create. Um, and and it's exactly why you should not do t-shirts and you should do uh, one size fits all snapbacks, snap, snapback yeah. hats instead for your uh, shitty clothing brand. Sorry. Well, hold on. I want to say really quickly because you, this is I think an opportunity, just something clicked for me. First of all, there's a, t- a term Colin said that we've never clarified and anyone could Google, but I'm sure many are not. That's just Delta. And Delta's just change, right? And I think the other thing that made me realize is we say the alpha difference. all the time, and I'm yeah. not, and I'm not sure we've ever defined alpha. But like alpha is a gain, right? Like alpha is like the the outperformance over the the benchmark. The outperformance Wait, I over thought what you I thought expect. alpha meant being like big and tall and handsome. Oh, the alpha means well in our in our perspective, oh, big, tall, yeah. handsome. Yo, <laughs> I thought that's what. <laughs> I, I thought every time Warren was like, "You're here for the alpha." I thought that's what he was saying. You're here for us. You're here for the, you're here for the snacks. You know? <laughs> for the snacks. For the snacks. Uh, we could do a whole pod on 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 the Greek alphabet. Actually, just, we should break that alpha. What episode is Chad Pod? Where we just uh, <laughs> Chad Pod. It's just get Solbron how, how on get Chad taller? Pod for sure. Yeah. <laughs> dude, how do you get taller? Not to go tab talky, but I just I read an article the other day about that dude who was in space. And gain two inches from being in space for ten years. That's how you get taller. Is you just you you, you go sans gravity. You go sans gravity for yeah. for <laughs> float, float tanks, brothers. All my short kings out there, float tank indefinitely. You know what I'm saying? Just ten years of float tanking. And, uh, I'm sorry. It's that simple. Sorry that cool. that was my little addition because I know nothing about this stuff, right? So that was my little addition to it. Um, but I, I think that you know we probably shouldn't get too much into a lot of detail here because it varies so much, right? I think the big the big deal here is are you is the source of your inventory placing a PO with a manufacturer, in which case your life is much simpler and you basically just need to be thinking about lead times on that. Or if you're assembling or, or making something in-house, in which case it all goes to hell. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> um, in, in which case it's much more complex because then all of a sudden, instead of going you know, one PO for one thing, my life is good um, for, for one SKU, um, you don't have to worry about all the component level or input level um, things that you need to have in, in hand. Oren, were you going to say something? No. No. Oh, <laughs> I, mi- I misread your, sorry. Oren was hang- you're, you're, holding up a flag waving and I thought yeah, he was like, going to chime in with something valuable. I don't know. Nah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, nah, bro. Like, um, I think you're on a, you're on a great track. I just want to say, Hey, I mean, I think you're a king. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're doing you're doing great on this. Just keep dropping that alpha for the brothers. I'm trying to bring oh. that alpha, yeah, exactly, right? Uh, bring it in, bring it in. Um, uh, I was gonna say, we can't just so, say sorry, Indulu, we can't just say brothers anymore because we have reached seven percent female listenership, uh, <laughs> and so I would say that uh, it brothers is and brothers sisters. and sisters from now yeah. on, yeah, officially from now officially. on. Yeah. Um, something that uh, just related to if you are doing manufacturing and really like bigger than manufacturing assembly, right? So I think this even applies to if you're doing your own fulfillment. Um, and I don't know why I always have a bias that we're, we're, we're talking about e-commerce businesses, but um, if you are doing your own fulfillment, and this is something I've looked at with my wife on her business because she has not outsourced fulfillment yet, right? Um, you know, we probably shouldn't dive into like how you're... Um, uh, how you're designing your your manufacturing line or your assembly line, um, even if it's something as simple as like getting a package out the door. 
Um, but efficiency trackers and, and tracking that all day, assuming you're in a position where you're, you have somebody doing this for a few hours or, or for all day. Um, I, I've seen a lot of like really overcomplicated um, mechanisms for tracking that. There's a lot of like really expensive machines you can do to, uh, you know, where it's like it's sensing the movements on your line so that you can tell if it's deviating from its standard efficiency, blah, 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 blah. You can also just do really, really simple trackers. And so what what we've what we've done for our operations is is uh, you know at the most basic level you can just capture it hourly. Give me what we did in the last hour. Where's that put us compared to our goal? And, and having that displayed on a screen so that everyone involved understands where we're at. Again, this is for assembly manufacturing, but it also could be for hey, we need to ship a thousand orders today. Here's where we stand on those thousand. Um, but then also we did, we've done like really, really simple stuff. That's like literally a tablet with a button. And every time, every time that button is hit, that indicates that this many pieces have been made. And then that's plotted on a chart based on our, um, that, that compares where we are and our trend compared to where we need to be to finish, you know, what is scheduled yeah. for the day. Um, and, and for me, I, I found that that at the very bottom of the food chain in terms of this activity, right. Getting down to like the minute or the hour on uh, on this entire SNOP um, is the most uh, useful thing to just get everybody in touch with exactly where you stand. Um, another thing where it's probably just a spreadsheet. Um, there's not incredible software out there for this. I'm sure if you want to go spend millions of dollars on an implementation, somebody will sell you something that's a piece of shit, but might be incredible. Um, but really at the end of the day, it's like, this is like data into a spreadsheet displayed on a screen. Life is good. Super, super useful tool. In terms of Renault, the one thing I'll add to that, which is funny, is that like, I actually think, I mean, A, for sure, there's a million like SaaSes that exist today that are really useful for across industries, across use cases. But one thing I find really fascinating is like, obviously Excel is just like a basic standard, but I think that for most people, most things that you want to do, like, or there's a ton of things you want to do that you could just, if you're really on a budget and running tight, you can run in Google Sheets and with like and and plug Zapier into it and and right yeah. you know what I mean and, and and that's it and we did we did a ton of data analytics with like creating indices to be licensed to ETF providers and with all these cannabis equities we're looking at like EMAs and and VWAPs Tableau and all stuff Enterprise that you know <laughs> just and literally just using Google Finance's API and Zapier right I'm really serious right and sort of like I think that and I'm not even a master at any of that my old partner Jake is like so good at that stuff. But my point is like, even with hearing Colin speak about this, it's pretty clear to me that like, you know, if you're on a budget and you're really looking at sort of um, like you know, f- figuring out how to be lean and profitable and bootstrap that like, there's so much that can be just done with like learning the basics of spreadsheets. And, right? and even, I would just say, even if you're not on a budget, right? Like a lot of these really advanced, um, really advanced ERP uh, softwares with, you know, with manufacturing planning or yada, yada built into them. These are built with that finance team in mind, right? Sure. So that they can spit out, here's your budget for monthly hours for that thing, right? They are not built with like, okay, here I am. And I need to make 500 of these today with this team of two people, right? And I need to make no. sure that we're generally going as fast as we think we should be going, right? They're, they're not built with that in mind. They're built with this like 30,000 foot view that is, that is not actually very useful um, in mind. So, um, I keep saying spreadsheet. James just said spreadsheet. Um, I've done a lot of that. When you do start to get more complex, uh, I live and die uh, by a tool called Coda, Coda.io. Yeah. Let's, which let's is get like, the full Coda pitch right now. Yep, Coda sponsors yep, the pod. Like, Colin, I'll just turn the yep, cameras on. Recording yep. session. All right. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, if you you've probably heard of Notion. So if Notion is a um, is like a red wagon in the analogy, Coda is like a red Lamborghini, except for it's black because who would buy a red sports car, right? Um, uh, but really, like Notion, I think has popularized this, this like idea of like tables that you can look at in multiple ways. Um, and that's become very, very popular because it's super useful. And then Coda takes a, a similar concept and just like puts it on steroids if you want it to be, um, which allows you to do, you know, like Oren mentioned, we do all of our, all of our sourcing, this entire, our entire SNOP process, um, all of our, our manufacturing scheduling, the tracking of the goals um, against the tracking of our progress against goals, every last thing down to how many seconds per piece went into this pre-roll is all done in a uh, in an elaborate Coda doc um, because all these things are connected, right? It, it falls apart very, very quickly when you need to be looking at what's my current inventory versus, okay, what how long does it take me to make this thing? Versus, okay, how many of them am I going to need again based on that projection I got last week? Right? All those things are fragmented. And when you can bring them all into one place is when it can get really nasty. And really, ours is only as complex as, as it is because we have, when you when you think about the differences across state markets, you we have like 65 or 70 product lines. If we had something like that that was for like my e-commerce business with my two SKUs, it's, it's uh, much, much, much more simple. It probably doesn't require a crazy person like me to to make it or design it um, or or use it. So uh, spreadsheets and especially like the codas and notions of the world are are I think for ninety nine percent of businesses are are the move. I want to just and give that. a really quick shout out to my friend Paul's uh, company, which is SimpleSheets.co. And it basically, it's a, it's a really, it, <laughs> this is not, <laughs> Orin's like, what, who are we shot? No, 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 it's not only Paul's company. Um, it's just really, it's a cool business. What they basically done of like, they've, they've built out like 50, it's a SaaS, but they built out like 50 templates for for Google Sheets for people to use. And some of them include like sales forecasting ones. Uh, that, so that doesn't really, like, it doesn't really useful. Don't just pardon my, I was like, I was like, he's, he's shouting out like some like tertiary Monday competitor. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, uh, that no, does it's, sound it's uh, like useful to him, yeah. And he actually he just post um, he just posted today. Simplesheets.co. Uh, you don't have to sponsor the pod. You can sponsor lunch for the gang. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know I'm actually mean? having lunch like, with them after this. <laughs> oh, so the sponsorship is already secured. At, at wow, wow. 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 sponsorship is wow. secured. Yeah. Who did you have him write that check to, James? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did not see that go into the uh, Tap Talk slash Builders Build Escort account. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, sorry, the gas is a little. Right, sorry. I'm not, no, no. Right, let's, let's just, anyway, let's keep it. Let's keep it. Group, well, actually, well, so, group, well, real quick though, I want to actually ask Colin a follow up question on that. So, if you are diving into Coda to use to make some of your workflows and do this, what are are there any like functions or tips or things that like aren't apparent when you first look at it that a uh, for a seasoned power user like you may be able to to share to the uh, the new users? I think not not particularly, except for maybe this podcast is an impetus to like to get like a, a, a Coda template of how I would do this out in the world and, and give it out for three free download for the, the global listenership. That's, that's th three download. It's $3. We're my, <laughs> Colin, we're going to start monetizing, brother. T-H-R-E-E, -E, <laughs> not free download. -E. Free download. <laughs> not free game, three game. Um, yeah. But I uh, uh, can't remember where I was going. Oh, uh, all these tools are, all these tools are tables and that basically make VLOOKUPs easy, right? So, the reason that is great is because it makes it easy to look up from other data, um, things related to this piece of data that I'm looking at. And I think if you're the type of person that is that is thinking about these things, then you probably understand pretty quickly how that could be useful. 
Um, and as you get your grips on a Coda or a Notion, you could do a lot of this in Notion. It's just not nearly <clears throat> powerful enough um, to do um, to do it at a big scale or, or a complex scale. But uh, yeah, it's VLOOKUPs. All right. So I think we'll, uh, anything else on kind of the manufacturing concepts and, and things to think about there? Do you want to hit, hit on efficiency for a second? Not me. Well, you don't want me to talk about efficiency. That's for sure. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm happy to I mean, so, <laughs> Yeah, I'll give a quick, I'll give a quick spiel. I'll like call and uh, put the icing on the cake if that works. The, uh, yeah. So there's two ways to measure efficiency, which is basically like how well do you make or do your people make the thing that, uh, that you are making? And one is, I think, the, if, if you're, uh, I had my notes for the week, then uh, you take the standard output of what you typically do versus your actual output. Um, so standard output divided by actual output is your efficiency. And then if you're a builder, then you do a goal output divided by your actual output. And, you know, so you're, you're always kind of striving to do better. And so that you can look at your metric and say, cool, we are, we had 99% efficiency on this week overall on this particular skew by this person, by this line. And you should kind of be looking at that on every single thing that is made that people make for you and, and, uh, and ensuring that you're kind of raising those standards because you can get better and you can automate and you can find ways to kind of improve process or layout to kind of make something of that. That's a worth, a worthwhile metric to look at. And especially in something, or if you don't make your own things and you have a factory that makes your stuff for you, you should also be concerned about their efficiency. Because if you go, and I think that once you make something with someone long enough, it's worth like going and taking that factory tour, even if it's in Istanbul or, or Ningbo or wherever that ends Istanbul. up being. You want textiles, brother? We're going to Turkey. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. Which one? You want Suede? Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> then, you, then you go out there and I uh, make that trip because you know, even just taking a, a fresh look of outside eyes for understanding your product or how it's made and looking at that, maybe I'll have to raise some efficiency and, and lower your costs. Yeah. Uh, on that, you know, this, this episode, thank God, isn't about lean manufacturing. Um, and I, I think not, that, not a lean manufacturing fan, not gonna lie. Uh, lean I, warehousing, I think, which we'll get to in a minute, but I think that, uh, you know, again, if you're, if you're touching a bunch of pieces, whether it is fulfilling a bunch of orders or assembling, uh, so on and so forth, uh, there is a lot you can learn from being generally familiar with, uh, um, with, with that whole world with lean, with six Sigma, so on and so forth. Um, you do not need to hire the $200,000 a year. Um, you know, black belt, um, but just generally, you know, reducing touches, all these sorts of things can really do wonders, work wonders for your, your efficiency on that front. And the most useful tool for measuring it is just understanding how many of these should I be getting done in an hour? And, and just to get super functional, it's like, if you have no baseline for this, make like, make one of them, time yourself. Okay. That took me 37 seconds. Great. Now go and make 10 and, and time that. And then back that into great in a eight hour shift with two 15 minute breaks and a lunch and da, 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 I should be getting roughly this many. And look, I can't just move my hands nonstop for that entire time. Sometimes I got to scratch my head too or whatever. So actually it's going to be this number. And very, very quickly you can get it. Great. I need this many pieces per head count coming out of every shift. And then if you are tracking it with a really simple tracker, um, you're in a good place, much better place than you were before you did all that. It doesn't need to be crazy elaborate. You don't need to hire the, the Six Sigma black belt to get you there. Um, just do some math. Uh, this is, look, that's, that's a great little formula for people to, to apply and think about that is 100% relevant. And the best shortcut to do that, that is uh, this week's official free game. All right. So I think we can uh, we, we can pass on to the, the, the final sections here, which is uh, fulfillment planning and, and finance. Um, 
So fulfillment planning is basically, hey, once we've actually made all these things and we've committed that we're going to be able to sell them, are we going to be able to actually get them to their end destination? And this is something that sounds easy, but it ends up being much more complex when you deal with the global supply chain. So there's uh, in manufacturing, we take care of things like our components arriving on time, that kind of thing. But then you have to look at you know, your warehouses. Uh, and so uh, a quick conversation about warehouse methodology. Warehouses is basically anything that involves receiving your products, putting your products away, storing them picking them to put in order, packing them into that order, and then shipping them. And you may do that yourself, or you may have uh, with internal fulfillment, or you may have a 3PL or something like that, or a third-party logistics do it for you. Um, there's also going to be systems for inventory tracking where you have how much you have and how often you audit those counts and stuff. And then the overall, how, how lean that is. But if, if you say, hey, we're going to increase our sales by X, but our warehouse isn't organized or, you know, we don't have the right workers or capacity, can you actually fulfill those? And so, you know, uh, I think a lot of people I'd recommend, especially if you're getting a... Uh, at least like a half container of product, you should be using a 3PL or someone else who's going to be an expert at doing this for you. But these are the kind of things you also make sure to consider in the process. Because really what you want to eliminate in the SNOP is any gate to your success in that month and hitting your goals. And fulfillment is just as much of that as anything else, even if it's being done by FedEx or a warehouse or a third party. Yo, wise man once said to me, Dallas and Bimbo once said to me, not <laughs> all it. innovation is an iPhone. Sometimes you just got to do things a little bit differently and make it a little Ooh. bit better. Or I think you probably Ooh. said it more eloquent than that. The first line, though, <laughs> I nailed yeah. the first line. Thank that you. That man had gems. Um, yeah. but, but really, really, that applies on the fulfillment side as well as the manufacturing side. That like a lot of a lot of problems can be solved by just by taking a fresh approach and getting less dumb about it. Because no matter how smart you are, um, you know, in the in the the fires of business and just running and growing and making new things happen, we all end up doing some stuff that as soon as you step away and kind of take a look, it's like why like you know, connect it here instead. Right. Um, and there's, there's no business that you can walk into right now with fresh eyes and, and find some easy wins like that. And it especially applies on manufacturing, but then also on the really like the pick and pack is what I'm thinking of. Right. Uh, as well as how you're storing, you should not necessarily store alphabetically my, my Kings and Queens. Like you should probably look at how frequently you pull the items yeah, and store that way. Or Maybe you should look at uh, how frequently those items are are bought together and store accordingly, right? Um, yeah, if, or, or or basically, or what would you put in the bottom of the box versus at the top of the box? Versus, yeah, yeah, right. Like, yeah. right. yeah I mean, I was watching something on. I don't know if you guys know. Um, it's called Puff. Uh, it's like a delivery service that's it's taken off. It's a couple billion dollar Go valuation Puff. now. GoPuff. GoPuff. Yeah. Go so I was watching yeah. a thing on GoPuff and they were talking about the pick and pack process of GoPuff and how they basically, to Colin's point, really what they fit, like you'll find that shelves have two products that seem totally, like in a normal store, like you'll have Advil next to Tylenol next to cough medicine next to blank, right? Whereas the GoPuff inventory has Advil next to Gatorade. Right, because they just right. know these. Like when when you have but a human on Saturday running around, mornings, it's <laughs> yeah, like those it's are often ordered and fastest. together. And, yeah, yep. exactly, exactly. Which is like really interesting to think about, right? Like, and so like that, that again, very new to me. That's not something I've dealt with a lot. So that was like fascinating to me and interesting to hear you reiterate here as like and at scale, what a massive change in opex that might be, and efficiency just for actually getting things out um, to actually sort of like figure out where in a 3PL or where in a fulfillment center things actually sit when, so they're, when they're gathered. just to keep this super tactical, the low-hanging fruit here, the free game here, if you will, is stop storing alphabetically and store instead <laughs> by velocity. So run a sales report, right? And put the highest selling item, the closest to where you pick and back the order and the lowest selling item, the furthest. That's all you're going to do. Boom. That's, that's the easy win, free game. All right. I mean, so they, uh, I think we can... Uh, 
if you want to dive more into 3PLs, we'll link. I have like a 3PL thread where I go through all these different 3PL options in there, so someone else could just handle it for you. Um, I don't think we need to dive too deep into that. We can get some that's the real solution in the future. Yeah. Yeah, the real solution is just don't fucking do it. You know, and everyone says it's too expensive. When I'm like, ah, but is it? Or have you like gone and actually quoted those people out and then been like, hey, can I get a better deal? But that's a separate conversation. Uh, but the last thing I think we'll hit on here is the finance component, which I think is interesting, and because uh, it's and we touched a bit on this at the beginning. That's where a lot of people get caught up. Um, so number one is is operating capital. So once you're done with your sales forecast or manufacturing forecast. Finance's job is to look and say, how much is this all going to cost? We have to order more components. We have to commission our sales reps. We have to get X amount from the warehouse. We owe this on these terms and those on these terms. We have these receivables coming in. And can we do it? And with physical goods businesses, this gets complicated. I'll touch on software in a second. But because, hey, sometimes it might take months because you're shipping things out the door or to retailers or you're paid on terms and you're receiving on terms. And to actually run a scaling physical goods business, especially as you grow and you're doing like really big orders for partners, all of a sudden you might need millions of dollars just to help cash flow your operation. And people will go, oh, God, I have to raise this money or, or anything like that. And I think there are services and there's factoring and stuff like that where people will actually take care of some of that for you. But this is a real set of opportunity where I feel like there's not enough kind of alpha provided for people for like services that say, hey, we'll take 2% of your invoice to pay you this cash early. Or, hey, we'll fund your OPEX for, for, a, for X amount. Like, this is kind of the easiest place where you can go get loans or providers, but people have the hardest time with. So something to really bear in mind. And I don't know, I think, James, you have a bit of a background here in SBA loans and things like that. Like, what are some options for people to be able to kind of take advantage of capital to help them work through challenges like this? So, I mean, what's interesting is I there's like a... Uh when it comes to debt, you know, the, the, the opportunities for access to capital are like really, really different when you actually have revenue, right? And so like one thing that, you know, and, and sort of there's a lot of new lenders coming go, out of this. <laughs> go figure, folks. Go figure. No, but I think that's one thing that I see a lot, right? People are like, oh, I've got this business. We did, you know, 60K last month. We want to take a loan, right? Um, and so when it comes to SBA loans, for example, the SBA is going to want like a couple years of, of you know, uh, a, a stable growth and basically showing that you can sort of, that the debt can be supported by the cash flows of the business on its own for a two-year look-back period, et cetera, et cetera, for you to have experience in that space. Um, but I mean, a lot of what I've seen, you know, opportunity-wise is essentially just like a, is basically invoice factoring, right? And it's sort of like, and it's the same, conceptually the same idea as like, if you're doing, you know, PO financing is essentially just invoice factoring, right? It's sort of like looking at, at, at future revenues and lending against those. And I think that that's pretty often going to be, and to be quite honest with you, that's similar when Colin made the, the comments about Stripe or Shopify capital loans, right? Like these are essentially just like lookbacks on revenue and lending against future revenues. And so I think that it's a really crappy answer, but like sort of best access to debt is going to be when you actually have the revenue. And then I, I sort of have this overall thesis, which is just that like you should take, you should get access to debt when you don't need it, right? Because when you need debt is the time that every lender is vulturous and is like, excellent, you know, we're going to charge you obscene amounts on this. The cost of capital is absurd. And I think that we could even do a whole pod on like cost of capital and really understanding what that process looks like. Because um, there's so many different yeah. things to look at there. And I'll, I'll hit with some quick notes on that cost of capital because I've done this a bunch because most of the job, you know, so uh, things have happened in businesses that I've worked in. It's been like, hey, cool. We, we've gotten ourselves, either we've raised money or we've started with zero money and gotten ourselves to revenue. Cool, we're doing a, you know, 100K, a couple hundred K a month, whatever it is, uh, even, you know, even if it's a smaller amount. And then said, hey, we actually have to fund inventory and gone and done it. And the easiest way to do that bar none, and the cheapest is SBA loans. So if you are, and they have actual lenders, uh, I think one of them is, um, which is like Live Oak and like Wells Fargo, or like, oh, there's like typical banks that will do it. And it's about 5.5% to like eight or 9% roughly to get that money, which is very cheap for someone to kind of finance your inventory. But then there's a bunch of these like kind of newer software firms doing it. Let's say they're like the Affirm or the Klarna of the uh, of the inventory financing, which I've also had to use. So one of these before is Bluevine. Um, there's also, there's Funbox. 
Um, there's on deck. There's a bunch of these that will actually do this for you. But the cost is like you're looking at like, okay, 9% if you're lucky, you know, 15% more realistically, you know, but let's say kind of 9, 10 is, is you know, the where you can get if you really have it together. But 15 is probably where you're really at. And that's a yearly. So it's not like it's it's completely out of the question, but that's the cost of getting that money to, to fund your business. So if you are building your cost models or deciding what is it going to take for me to run this business? Then you go, oh, cool, I'm going to need money. You need to build that into your model as well, because if, that, if that's a, a, a double digit percent change in your margin to be able to fund your operations, like that's a pretty significant undertaking. But there are, uh, this is something I should definitely probably do a thread on at some point, but just the listing out the options of all these people and kind of what they charge is, is something I think is valuable. But all those names I mentioned are, are worthwhile looking into if you do want to, to fund your inventory. Um, I do want to, I'll, I'll take a chance to, to transition that into software as well, because this isn't just about physical goods. Because I, I think that uh, one thing that I always encourage anyone who's scaling a software business to do is establish redundancy in their vendors. So even if, you know, if you're on a certain cloud or if you're using a certain set of services, because you don't know when costs might rise. I think a really good example of this is there's some recent articles going around about Vimeo and tons of businesses and courses and whatnot uh, have based their, their businesses on Vimeo at a pretty realistic set cost. Cool, you're paying a couple hundred bucks a year. And then they changed their pricing in this last year to basically be like, okay, the people who use the most bandwidth, we're charging a ton. The people who don't use much bandwidth, we're keeping around the same. But for some of these creators with popular courses who are used to having, you know, paying a couple hundred bucks a year for it, now they're getting asked to pay like $10,000 for it. And so I think it's worth looking at when you're scaling a software business from a financial perspective, what is a redundant option for any of these in the case of an acquisition or an enterprise pricing change? Any other kind of recommendations or anything for the uh, on the finance perspective? Double your margins, whatever they are, double them so you don't have to deal with this. <laughs> well, I mean, I can tell you that like very interestingly enough, so my background is, you know, and if, if I had made it abundantly clear for the listeners, my background is in very sort of scrappy-ish bootstrapping. I've raised some money, but it's really my company's been scrappy bootstrapping. Whereas I got some friends who, when we were looking at companies to acquire, for me, I wanted to look at like, I wanted to look inside Shopify. I wanted to look inside Ad Manager. I want to look inside Clavia. Like I want to understand the actual mechanics of how this stuff works. What's fascinating to me is it some of the true sort of monsters, so to speak, that I know the guys and girls that are phenomenal, phenomenal what they do, don't need to look at any of that. I mean, they could look at a PL, they could look at a, an income statement, they could look at a balance sheet and understand the health of a company from 30,000 feet up. And to Colin's point about margins, I could, you know, we, there are plenty of businesses that if you came to me and said, is this investable? Can I take on debt for this? Like, I could just tell you based on your gross margins whether I thought you had any any chance to grow, like with any channels other than just people hearing about you, right? And 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 coming to you organically. So I think Colin's right about looking at margins. I think to Oren's point about um, about capital is like uh, we're seeing more and more come into the space. Uh, lenders come into the space, like he mentioned. Um, with that said, I want to remind everyone that the SBA does not lend you money. The SBA is like a government agency that sort of backs lenders that give you money and sort of guarantee that, 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 that they'll get paid back if you don't pay it. I took an EIDL loan during COVID, which was very, very friendly friendly terms. I know a lot of people took PPP loans. Um, those obviously were forgivable. EIDL was not, but I think I got money at like 3.1% on a 30-year fixed uh, term with no prepayment penalty, which is like just a is, is a great, great, great deal. But what I will say, what I think that people don't recognize the average Joe is that people that don't look at sort of macroeconomics and understand what Fed rates are. And so when we talk about the Fed raising interest rates, like that, that will change the debt that all of us get access to, right? So like it is, because that has to do with like the the the, the rate that this with banks. So like when you are worried about your loan from Shopify or from Bluevine or from JP Morgan Chase or from BOA, whoever, that there is a direct correlation with what the Fed's current interest rate is and rate hikes will and in your mortgage will 
all, all be affected by the by the Fed's interest rate. So anyway, I think it's important for people to recognize as well. They think, oh, this is irrelevant to me, but it totally affects every single function of your life. So anyway, that's that's my 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 last little piece on that. Any, uh, <clears throat> any parting shots on the SNOP process as we kind of come to the uh, come to the end? Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, I do have a I do have a James explains for the, oh, the Delphi right. method. A good one. The Adelphi method. The Delphi method. No way. Oh, <laughs> duh. Adelphi method. The Adelphi method <laughs> was 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 came out of Adelphi University, which is an online university mostly for mechanical engineering. And the Adelphi method is like a method in which you sort of go and you you pull all the data out of a spreadsheet and you put it onto a legal pad, um, and then you with a with a big pen, I believe, specifically a big pen, you can sort of forecast out using Mr. Professor Adelphi, who it's named after from uh, Adelphi University. <laughs> you can forecast out, um, you know, your your cost of capital over the next three to six years specifically. Perfect. Is that close? Let's go. Damn. <laughs> I've, I've missed it. those. I've missed those. Um, but yeah. That, what yo, is we got, so we got a James Explains today. We got several free games. I feel like we're... We're I think this one had a little to, bit of fun, of a little juice, roots. yeah, a yeah. Little, little funk to it's it. It's, to it's, a hard, it's a hard topic to keep spicy, but we can, yeah, uh, yeah we, we, we can drop the <laughs> CTA. Anybody can no do way. it. You should, uh, you, sh- you should like and subscribe. Uh, yeah, I'm saying, you know, leave a review, please leave a review. It can be one star, it can be five stars. Really, yeah. it's up to you. As we're not going to you know, bias you either way, as yeah. long as it's a review. Um, I mean, in particular, like we're, we're we're trying to try and get that up as we look to raise the profile of our guests. You know, Chelsea Clinton just wouldn't do it, and we really wanted her to be first. Uh, yeah. But with a couple of reviews from the lovely listenership, then that might change. But uh, builders.build, stay rich. Stay rich.